Onasu. So it looks like we're now in our seventh week of our eight-week retreat. So if, this, if we were on an airplane, I think this is when the pilot says, in about a half an hour we'll be landing. So if you have any baggage to stow, now is the time to stow it. So it's not the final alert, but it's kind of the, the initial alert. We're going to be landing soon. And as we just, now and then, over the course of this week, deliberately anticipate leaving here and moving on, it's good to have in mind that unless you're going direct from here to an even quieter, more secluded place for full-time shamatha practice, the chances are you'll be venturing into a place that is more, how do you say, multitasking, more active, more noise, more distractions, so that the chances are very high that the degree of relaxation, the stability, especially that continuity of attention that you may have cultivated here, will, let's say, somewhat erode. The chances are quite possible. So that's just part of the, that's just the way it is. You know? That doesn't mean that anything you've done here is a waste of time if you find that you're not able to sustain that level. But it is to say that when we're multitasking, engaged in that kind of world, it does tend to pull the, pull the mind apart more. Uh, but then all the more reason to maintain some type of really robust, continuous meditative practice so you don't just get swept away by that current, but keep on coming back for air, keep on coming back to that coherence, that anti-entropy of kind of the forces around us. So on the one hand, shamatha may very well you know, decline somewhat. On the other hand, there's really no reason at all why our experience and our cultivation of the four measurables should decline when we're then much more actively engaging with sentient beings, pleasant ones, unpleasant ones, and neutral ones, uh, whereas here our level of engagement is quite quiet. I don't think at all trivial. The fact that we're speaking so, so little here, I think, doesn't frankly take away at all anything from the, the sense of friendship, sense of, of warmth, of just those two. But above all, the kind of sense of friendship here is, to my mind, very tangible. And I don't think it's any, in my opinion, it's not been in any way diminished by the fact that we're not chatting over meals and so forth and so on. Because we're sharing something here, a very, a very meaningful venture. But when we do step out of this environment, that's a time when, on the one hand, your cultivation of the four measurables, the four greats for that matter, may really come into flower more and more. There's no reason at all why that should decline. Because just for one thing, since you're engaging with sentient beings so much, you don't need to visualize them as much, you know, which is harder. Right? But it's not only a very benevolent way to return to the world, but also the Buddha was very strong on this point. Again, the teachings recorded in the Pali Canon, that metta, this metta bhavana, the cultivation of loving kindness, this is one of the greatest protections you can bring with you. He lists, I think it was 10 or 11 benefits of cultivating loving kindness. And one of them, expressed in a number of ways, is that it's really a great protector of the mind, protector of the body, the mind of your well-being. And so this is something very important to bear in mind. As many, perhaps all of you know by now, when you're putting in hours and hours a day of shamatha, it does tend to bring up emotions, memories, and so forth. Some of these can be, can be disturbing. Also somatic experiences, of course. So this wide variety of nyam. When they're actually occurring, it may be difficult. 
right then to be cultivating loving kindness towards the people whose memories are coming up and so forth. But when the eruptions have somewhat subsided, to then return to the cultivation of loving kindness, especially for those people from one's past, whether near past or distant past, who have troubled one, put it mildly, that have been difficult in various ways in between sessions. And the very practical way in is in this fourfold manner that Buddhaghosa sets forth, not just immediately wishing them, may you be happy and so forth, when may, one may feel you caused, an, you caused an awful lot of unhappiness. Why should I exactly wish for you to have the opposite of what you've been dishing out, right? So again, moving through that and saying, all right, what's the first aspiration? May you be free, you, may you like myself be free of ill will. Yeah? And then imagine that being so, like a person coming over a, a delirium where that particular mental affliction has subsided, it's become a, a, a past symptom. May you be free of physical affliction, free of mental affliction. And in each case, imagine it to be so. And then finally, may you be well and happy. And you may go one step further, and that is envisioning as you continue to unfold to mature on your own practice, may I be the one, may I be the one to help you. I be the one to help you overcome ill will. I be the one to heal you if you are physically afflicted, heal you if you're mentally afflicted, and bring you to a state of genuine happiness. And so there's the great protector of the mind. And then just a final word, and that is, insofar as you do have these called, called, sometimes called eruptions taking place, whether during the nighttime, a number of you have mentioned insomnia now and then, or more now than then, and then emotions coming up, memories coming up in the, in the daytime, eruptions coming up in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the body, uh, this occurred to one of our Dharma friends here. She's re- recovering. But um, yeah, just some physical stuff coming up. So be good. We'll, we'll be back soon. I think this is not really serious this time, but nevertheless very painful. So hold her in your heart and mind as we meditate this morning. But when it is clear, and this you have to check with discerning intelligence, if and when it's clear that what, what's coming up in the body and mind is not a medical condition that needs treatment, We always keep our feet on the ground. Never go airy-fairy, I'm a spiritual person, I don't need to deal with medicine. Feet on the ground. But if and when it becomes clear that whatever is besetting you, somatically or psychologically, that is not a medical condition, you don't need to go off and seek a doctor, a nurse, medical care. If you do, then if you think that's a possibility, by all means go, okay? Always practical. But if it's clear, no, this is just being stirred up by the meditation. This is not a medical condition. Medical doctors will not be able to help for this one. In that case, there's some very powerful advice. It's not easy, but it's very powerful advice. And it's from this text I've alluded to a couple of times called the, Vajra, the, uh, the Sharp Vajra Tantra. The Sharp Vajra of Conscious Awareness Tantra. Sharp Vajra Tantra for short. Where Dujung Lingba again, this is one of his mind treasures to, to which he wrote his own commentary. He said, especially with respect to this practice of settling the mind into its natural state, explicitly for that, but implicitly for all of the shamatha practices, especially. And then implicitly also for more advanced practices like Vipassana and, and Dzogchen. That when these really powerful nyam come up, 
psychological, somatic, whatever, and, and you've identified them as nyam, you know what's happening. This is a dredging. This is not a medical condition that needs medical care. When you have that, at that point, when you've recognized that, then you come to a juncture, a fork in the road. And there's good advice, and then there's everything else. And the good advice is, now that you know this is a nyam, let your awareness hold its own ground. Let your awareness hold its own ground. Now is the time to release all hope and fear, all desire and aversion. And you may say, but, oh, but this is so unpleasant. This is terrifying. This is, un this is unsettling. This is disturbing. If and only if you grasp onto it. So the attitude here is very much as if treating this like a dream. And now your one fundamental solution to move through this, to let it work its way through, is to become lucid, not to try to fix it with hope and fear and antidotes and craving and all that kind of business. Just whatever's coming up, say, this is an appearance. This is an empty appearance. It's arising somatically. It's arising psychologically. In other words, adopt that attitude. This is like a dream, and I'm going to be as lucid as I possibly can. And whatever comes up, I'm not going to try to impede it. This is a yam. I'm going to step back, let it flow, come into the bright daylight of consciousness, unfold, fizzle yourself out. But what I'm not going to do is enter into the drama, hoping and fearing and cringing and, and withdrawing or any of that business without hope or fear, without desire or aversion. Be present with it, let it be, and as much as possible, with, just be present with it without grasping. He said, if you follow that, if you follow that fork, then these will process themselves out. This is where your, ref your refuge in your own Buddha nature comes in. Take no external refuge, the Buddha said just before he passed away. This is where you're taking no external refuge. He's saying, this is a nyam. If it, were medical, if it were medical condition, I'd go for a doctor. That's relative refuge. That's smart. But this is not a medical condition. And therefore, I'm taking refuge in my own Buddha nature, pristine awareness. And I'm going to just let it be. And it will. I have that confidence. It will unravel itself. Short time, long time, however long it takes, there's a power within me that is a healing power. And if I get out of the way, it will heal what's ever coming up. It will resolve. It will disentangle. It will melt away. And the healing process will continue. If in contrast, so there's the one good advice from Dijum Lingba. I'm just the messenger here. And then there's everything else. And that is, oh, I have to fix this. I have to apply this. What can I do? What can I do? I have to and then you're just locking yourself into the non-lucid dream. And by responding to whatever's coming up with grasping, manifesting as hope or as fear, you perpetuate it. That's how samsara continues. By cognitive fusion and then hope and fear, and it just drives the engine indefinitely. Okay? So these two, these two in between sessions, loving kindness is the great field of protection to protect your mind and to create harmony with all those around you. And when you are beset with these sometimes ferocious nyam, then it's wisdom. It's wisdom all the way. Just remain there in the eye of the needle, awareness holding its own ground, unperturbed, unmoved, luminous, clear, still, and fearless. And that's about it. It's a tall order. But it is the order. It's what the chef orders. Okay? The chef is Dujum Lingba. Okay? 
Good. So we'll return now to this third phase of mindfulness of breathing. We return to the Buddha's own teachings, where he suggests just arouse that sense of loving kindness, starting in the epicenter of your own, your own being, arousing the sense of well-being for yourself, envisioning the well-being for yourself, and then just like supernova loving kindness, let, let that field of light, if you want to just breathe out, breathe out. If you want to send light out from your heart, do so. But send that field of loving kindness out. You may do so in this fourfold way. May you be free of ill will and so forth. Or simply may we all be, find genuine happiness and the causes of genuine happiness. You may just expand it, as the Buddha said, in all directions. All the, the cardinal directions, the intermediate directions, above and below. Just like that. Just like three-dimensional expansion of the field of awareness. Or you may, if you wish, then just let your awareness be wide open as if you were settling the mind in its natural state. And then just see who comes knocking on the door. Okay? Just what appearances of what individuals, sentient beings, parts of the world, and so forth come to mind. But then, unlike settling the mind, unlike simply attending to them as appearances to the mind, for which we don't develop up in kindness, they're just appearances, you go beyond that. When the appearances come up, then you use that appearance to attend to the person who is represented by that appearance. And then you send out your loving kindness. Okay? Okay. Let's practice. 